All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is part two of a two-part conversation I had with Marco Markovic, a.k.a. Vienna Falcons on Twitter, talking about not only the future of this Falcon team under head coach Arthur Smith, as well as looking at the past parallels between him and his predecessors to see what lessons we could learn from Dan Quinn to predict Better predict the future for Arthur Smith. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP. Still going strong, however, on Twitter at FalcFans and, of course, the host of this premium minute Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And before we get started with today's Locked On Falcons podcast, I want to let you guys know that if you're looking for that edge to help you win your fantasy league this season, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast, Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News, will give you that daily edge on the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast, getting you the data that you need so that your fantasy squad never fails. Subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy football podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts so today's episode of locked on falcons is a second part of my two-part conversation with marco markovic aka vienna falcons you can check out his german language blog of sturz dot blog that's s-t-u-r-z f-l-u-g dot b-l-o G and Marco and I had a conversation yesterday, really sort of talking about the off season and trying to figure out if Terry Fontenot and company really had a plan and where we left that conversation was sort of looking ahead to the future. And that's sort of going to be where things pick up today's episode. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the 2022 Falcons uh, and beyond to sort of talk about sort of the unknown variables, but the end of today's episode is going to include uh, looking back at the past. So today's episode is going to be kind of a future oriented podcast as well as a past oriented podcast and looking back at the past and looking at some of the parallels with the Arthur Smith regime in 2021 and 2022 and comparing that to the Dan Quinn regime in 2015 and 2016, as well as some other Dan Quinn years to sort of look back and say, you know, you know, was Dan Quinn's success, a fluke or however you want to turn it, but sort of being like, did we miss something um, in, were we overlooking things, I guess you could say, uh, early on in Dan Quinn's team because we wanted to buy in on him and, and not really sort of understanding that maybe that team uh, was, you know, probably a little bit more mediocre than we initially thought going on. And we'll talk a little bit about sort of how things uh, kind of derailed for the team in, in 2019, but not trying to spoil the entire episode. So we'll get into that um, on today at the towards the end of today's episode. Uh, but um, we'll start things off sort of talking about 2022 and beyond and sort of the unknowns involving Arthur Smith and s- several other elements of the team before we can truly buy in on uh, this Falcon team moving forward. And to give you some context on that, I'll sort of not instead of dropping you in the middle of a conversation, obviously, by all means, go check out yesterday, Monday's episode. If you haven't already to sort of get further context and get some insight uh, into the Falcons offseason. Um, but, you know, we'll sort of kick things off by giving you sort of Marco's final thoughts 
you know, the last two minutes of what he said on yesterday's episode, sort of as a sort of staging ground to lay that foundation for you on today's episode. Uh, and we'll get into that coming up on today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the NBA side of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team, whether your team is in the NBA finals or whether your team is gearing up for the draft you can find your favorite shows daily podcast on the lockdown podcast network uh, on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast so bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action and bet online gives you the latest news odds and info for all your sporting needs including mlb nhl nba and all your ufc and mma action and there's no time like now to get started at bet online well, as of this recording, the NHL playoffs are still ongoing. Don't know uh, if the Stanley Cup finals are over. The NBA playoffs and finals are still going on. But, of course, Wimbledon is ongoing. And, of course, baseball season is in full swing. And you can track all the action at Bet Online. And it's not just the sports. Since Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That means if you deposit 500 bucks, you get $250 in free money to play with with that promo code locked on bet online, your online sportsbook experts. It's very important. The point that you always put up, they put the pressure on themselves to be successful now. And this leads you to this no man's land that they are now in. Like they are now really in this. Okay, we're going to go nine and eight, and maybe we, uh, nine and seven. We go next year also nine and seven, and you will always be in this level of Matt Ryan and and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts will hold will will not let you drown, and get the quarterback. That's the next step. <laughs> um, but they will never like. It's very unreasonable to expect them to get you to the Super Bowl now. Like, I don't think this team is anywhere close. This roster is anywhere close to being a Super Bowl contender. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know where fans that think that are coming from. Like, this roster is full of holes and uh, at very vital positions. And, and even if Dean Pease is some magician like Mike Nolan was in 2012 uh, and Arthur Smith is, like, you still cannot paint over talent deficiencies. And so I think... Uh, Fontenelle knows that in a sense because it really had an eye on 2023 cap uh, in his offseason moves. Uh, but it will be interesting to see the dilemma if he really is successful in 2021, what he's going to do next. So I, I think we will know more then because then he will live, really have to lay his, like show his cards, really put down what he what he's really thinking about this team. Because the, the easy thing will be if they if they struggle. If they struggle in 2021, then they can always say, okay, this was always going to be a transition year. It was impossible to offload Ryan and Julio in the same offseason. We're going to do it separately, stuff like that. Like, okay, that will seem like a very clear uh, narrative in retrospect, um, but it's also going to be a very convenient excuse if that wasn't actually the plan. But if they are successful, I, I, I'm not sure we will ever really know what his intentions were in those first few months here um, when he when he took the job in Atlanta. You know, talking about the team's ability to be successful, talking about the team's ability to be a uh, potential Super Bowl contender, and, and one of the ways that it has I have thought about this, and, and even others like DW from the Falcoholic have talked about it as well, which is sort of the parallels this offseason 
between the 2015 year. I talked about it recently, specifically about the offensive line and sort of how the many question marks the Falcons have up there could lead to them later this summer, making some of the big, bold moves to upgrade that unit, similar to what they did in Dan Quinn's first year in 2015. But it does lead a little bit to the conversation that we're talking about in terms of offseason strategy and, and, and building a winner that if they do wind up being at least somewhat successful, mediocre, you know, again, in that eight, nine, possibly 10 win uh, range this upcoming season. And then that sort of gives them the onus next offseason to do all this uh, creativity with the cap and restructure Matt Ryan and extend Calvin Ridley and extend Grady Jarrett and do whatever they do with Deion Jones and create, you know, $30 million in salary cap space. And then they're going to sit there and say, let's go out there and buy the defense that Dean Pease uh, can, can be successful with. Now that we have the money, let's go out there and spend on uh, uh, an offensive line. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. And we'll get our Alex Mack. We'll get our Muhammad Sidhu, the equivalent, and all the little pieces that the Falcons added in that 2016 offseason that really made the Kyle – that were the sort of the final pieces for that Kyle Shanahan offense and locked that thing into place. You know, I, I don't imagine it will be the same parallels where I think the Falcons are, for the most part, fine on offense uh, besides maybe running back and, and offensive line. But I think that maybe that we'll see that on on defense if we're sort of projecting, uh, you know, what 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 it'll be like in, in eight to nine months. But I'm curious where you sort of fall on that of uh, this idea where you seem to be a little skeptical of the idea that this team can be, you know, can make a major push forward to to maybe move the needle and, and become more of that contending team a, a year from now with some of these parallels between 2015, 2016 now with 2021 and 2022. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to rule it out. It's, it's really hard to say because we are banking, you're banking on two things. You're banking on Matt Ryan, not having any drop off whatsoever, which, it, you know, it's not a, a, there is a range of probabilities there. You, 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 you could be that he is the same level of efficiency that he is right now. It could be that he returns to some better efficiency with better play Carl. It could be that his arm uh, on, on, on some of the uh, out, out, out routes that he threw last year, I had the feeling that his arm wasn't the same as he was two years ago. It could be that there are some signs of decline and that uh, not even a good play caller is going gonna, is gonna to be able to overcome. So you are banking on the best possible outcome on that variable. And you are banking on Arthur Smith being something much closer to a Kyle Shanahan than to any middling offensive mind in the NFL right now, um, which is possible. Uh, but like, I, if I had to put a number on this, like, what would it be? The chances of Arthur Smith being a top three play caller in the NFL, I would say is probably 20% or 30%. Like, I, I, It's really hard to see like Tennessee had a really good offense. They also, like when you, when you compare the success of the Tennessee offense with the grading that PFF gave Tannehill, it's chicken and egg. Like it's not clear cut. Like it's not clear cut. You cannot say they, the offense was good despite Tannehill throwing some middling stuff. No, Tannehill made some really fantastic throws in that offense. So, um, and it's a very hybrid situation. Like it, it's, it's really hard to, to disentangle the success of the Tennessee offense between the play of Ryan Tannehill and, and Arthur Smith. And then PFF, although I, I do question their methodology behind the, the offensive play caller rank, rankings that they put out recently, um, did not have 
Arthur Smith in the in the top six, I think. I think they put out the top six. Um, did not have him in there because he also does some stuff that is very questionable from an offensive play caller perspective. Um, he runs very much in early downs. Now he will answer. Uh, did you know that I have Derrick Henry? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so and now he does not have Derrick Henry. So. Yeah. That's a variable that we simply do not know about. Like we don't know what Arthur Smith is like when he does not have Derrick Henry, when he has, uh, and we are, when he also does not have Mike Rabel as his head coach. Matt Lafleur had a very uh, much very uh, shifting change of, of, of face when he when he switched over from Tennessee to Green Bay, um, and was freed of Mike Rabel's uh, and Derrick Henry's influence and became a very pass-happy and very successful offensive head coach in, in, in Green Bay. It's very possible that Arthur Smith is the same guy and was shackled by the circumstances, but uh, he, he could not be. Like It's really hard to say right now. Um, what I do know is that Mike Davis is not Derrick Henry, and um, I'm sure very glad. Yeah, uh, you know, I've heard, dude, I've heard I, some things. Dude, Maybe some people disagree, but Quadzilla, right? He's got the, he's got yeah. the quads. Maybe we'll he's see. got the quads. It's quad season. Yeah. It's definitely quad season, except for uh, uh, Marcus Davenport, uh, who is uh, starting to shine the light of possible development in year four. But other than that, it's quad season. Mike Davis is. I think the parallel is quite interesting to what twenty fifteen happened. Yeah, you had a very similar team, a new head coach coming in. Uh, shifting from a uh, Dirk Cutter catastrophe to a wide zone, to a very committed wide zone uh, running scheme, changing out the whole offensive line, probably something similar happening, not in that same amount as 2015, but something similar might happen in, in terms of shakeups. Two out of five positions probably change this offseason. Um, you have, uh, who was the number two receiver? Probably the ghost of Roddy White and Leonard Hankerson combined. Mm-hmm. I say that's on par with Russell Gage right now. Like, uh, I don't know if is Russell Gage better than that. I, I'm I hope sure. so, but you know, I hope I, so. But yeah, but we'll see. I, we'll see. Uh, Russell Gage, I don't, it's probably. I don't know. Is he the worst number two wide receiver in the league? I think I don't know. I, maybe not. But he's not. Come on, that's that's a projection. That's like Mohamed Sanu. He was a pretty decent number three, and now he's asked, asked to be a number two. And if the system is great. Great, he can be a good number two. But if the system is um, middling, who knows what he's going to be? I don't think Russell Gage is a is a, is a fantastic number two. If if Arthur Smith is, is uh, just a, a middling offensive coordinator, so I think there are a lot of question marks there. And the parallel is also with the running back position. Mike Davis uh, reminding me something of of Devonta Freeman back then in twenty fifteen. Like he was this backup, pretty good at receiving. Which like Mike Davis, I think that's one of the one of the redeeming qualities that you can have as a running back uh, nowadays in this league. Um, and so um, he, like this could be something that the offense kind of makes surprisingly good, um, despite not being very talented, like on the paper, like uh, the offseason rankings, you would not say, oh, Mike Davis, let's go. Um, so there are some parallels there, definitely. And um the other thing is the, the easy schedule. So there is very much the possibility that they simply lock into some games and, and have some bad competition. So I think everything is there for this parallel. But the other two, the, what happens next year, that's really dependent on Matt Ryan and Arthur Smith. And we don't know enough about these guys to continue this conversation past 2021. Like this is the one thing that we need to learn 
in 2021 is whether those guys, because in 2015, Matt Ryan was not a question. Like we did not, like we did not know he had 2016 in him, but we did not question whether he was on the decline. There was nothing, there was no debate about that. Like we knew that Matt Ryan with Kyle Shanahan will be interesting. And then Kyle Shanahan turned out to be stubborn and very, very hard to deal with in this first year. And he, he hated Roddy White and everything and stuff like that. Like there was tension and, and stuff, but we knew that on paper, this pair pairing made sense right now. We don't know if Matt Ryan is still physically capable of playing at that level. And so that makes it difficult to project. I, if I would bet on it, I would not bank on the 2022 Falcons being a playoff team, like far from it. I don't think, I think there's a lot, um, there has to, a lot of things have to go right for this plan to actually work. And one of them is that Kyle Pitts is actually a good NFL player. Like, we don't know that. <laughs> this is something that's also amazing me. Also at PFF, recently they had the top 50 uh, players in the NFL, and then the follow-up article, those that just missed the cut, and Kyle Pitts was on there. And I was like, really? Kyle Pitts? He, he never had a snap in practice, and he is close to being a top 50 player in the NFL? He was even unemployed at that moment. He did not have a contract. And he was close to being a top 50 player in the NFL. I think, like, hold the brakes. This, we don't know if he's even Darren Waller. We don't know if he is even Jacob Tammy. Like, there are so many possibilities still to go there. I know that we can project something from college to pros. But um, I'm, I'm really, like, this is, you are also banking on that. You're banking on that. Kyle Pitts is just, right out of the gate. He's a great player. He is going to be the number two receiving option, splitting out as in X, and, and you don't, you, you're going to, the Julio loss will be basically seamless. You are banking on a lot of stuff falling on the positive side of variance if you're thinking about this team being a playoff team in 2021 or 2022. And so, um, yeah, uh, as a Falcons fan that has lived through a lot of stuff in the last decade plus, uh, banking on the positive side of variance is not something I've learned to do, <laughs> so I won't. I won't do it here. I'm sorry if that puts people down, but I won't do it. <laughs> Look, you know, I, I always say, like, you, you try to learn from your mistakes, and 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 probably the biggest <laughs> mistake we all made was that decision to become Falcon fans. You know, <laughs> at, at some point in our lives, uh, and we're, we're still trying to learn from that, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think you make you make some excellent points there, and I think you, you sort of lay out the case that you are essentially betting on a lot of things to go right. And again, yeah. I, I think that gets back to the original point that we started off today, or original point that I have made several times over the last couple of um, months, which is like, you know, we're we're doubling down on the Arthur Smith is is a is basically Kevin Stefanski type of, of coach yeah. or a Matt LaFleur type of coach to, yeah. to use another uh, comparison that you use where he can make the sum of these parts much better than the whole. And I think that's really, to me, the big question that surrounds this upcoming season, because I think you laid out the case pretty uh, fairly that you're not looking at a roster despite some, you know, very good pieces here and there, you're not looking at a roster that's one of the best rosters in the league. You you go back to that 2017 season coming off of the Super Bowl where 
you know, I, and understandably, we all thought this is the most talented Falcons roster that's ever existed, right? And, you know, that was a big reason why a lot of people were optimistic that there would be little to no regression with Steve Sarkeesian um, taking over play calling because it was like, we just have the talent to be one of the best teams in the league. And, you know, you can argue that they kind of somewhat showed that that year by being able to at least be in contention to, to go to the Super Bowl and making the playoffs. And then you've seen that sort of slowly get undermined the last couple of years with uh, some very questionable offseason moves, uh, which gets back to, to Thomas Dimitrov. And you, you get to a point similar to, I think, a similar dynamic when we're talking about the parallels. You can have the same conversation about, you know, the Mike Smith teams that probably the peak of that Mike Smith team from a talent standpoint was probably like 2010 and then slowly and surely over the next couple of years, you just sort of undermined that. And you were still successful in, in 2011, 2012, largely due to the play of some of your star players like the John Abrahams and the Tony Gonzalez and the Michael Turners. Um, the but, Babineaus. There you go. <laughs> uh, and, um, but by the time you got to 2014, like that talent level was just gone and you were basically just, it was the Julio and Matt Ryan show. And there was little else on that team, you know, maybe Desmond Trufant you could throw into the mix. And it's a similar dynamic now where like, I won't sit here and say the Falcons are devoid of talent. They're not like the the New York jets or anything like that. But like, it's one of those things where you are dealing with a team that is clearly not nearly as good. And and again, that gets back to the point I'm I'm making where it's like, I think you're at some point you're going to need that infusion of talent. Um, and you're going to be need to have that cap space to be, because you, you can't just rely solely on the draft. And I think if this year's draft, not to be too critical before we've seen many of these players play, but this year's draft did, did not blow me away with the type of talent that the Falcons brought in. It, it felt very much like a, a Mike Smith draft where it's like, yeah, the first couple of picks were good. And then after that, it's just like, they're fine. Like, they're not going to be bad NFL players, but they're not really moving the needle. You know, I'm not expecting, and I could be wrong about this, but I'm not expecting, you know, we're going to be looking at the Drew Dolmans and the Darren Halls of the world and saying like, man, these were home runs. These were doubles, triples, whatever you want to call them as sort of day three selections. And we'll look back at this draft class and say like, oh, the Falcons nailed it on day three. Uh, But, you know, I've been wrong about that stuff before. Um, So... It's just going to be interesting to sort of see how things yeah. unfold with this regime moving forward. And again, I think you, you nailed it with the big part of the puzzle being how well they play under Arthur Smith this upcoming season and Dean Pease and whatnot. And until we get that answer, it's really hard to, to project what direction this team is headed. Good, bad, you know, positive, optimistic, pessimistic, whatever you want to say uh, moving forward. So we're going to continue this conversation and get Marco's response to that coming up. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the NHL side of the Lockdown Podcast Network, whether the Stanley Cup uh, finals are done as uh, you guys, most of you guys are listening to this. Or, you know, you're gearing up for whatever your favorite hockey team's offseason is going to be. Of course, you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite hockey team right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And you can find them on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Did you know that Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market, has a brand new flavor in addition to their other already delicious flavors? This week only, get the newest Built Bar flavor, Grasshopper Cookie. If you're a fan of the classic Thin Mint Cookie, you'll love Grasshopper Cookie. Gives you all the flavor without all the sugar. They also have other delicious flavors, including 
cookies and cream, coconut almond, cherry barcia, double chocolate, salted caramel, coconut, raspberry, so much more. There's something for everyone. And you can try them all with a mixed box. Get that healthy snack that you need that tastes just like a candy bar and you'll have none of the guilt. Built bars contain chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. The coconut almond, my personal favorite, tastes just like an almond joy. I highly recommend the strawberry as well. And it's not just about their great taste. They're healthy too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. Just head over to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Try the grasshopper cookie at BuiltBar.com. So picking up where we left off with the point of building a team via free agency and the draft. I want to I wanna hark back on that point because that's also one example of, I think, when we talk back to 2016, 2017, um, that's a very interesting comparison that you brought up because um, there is also this um, very, very uh, treacherous path of thinking that one draft class can fix a team. And we had that back then because we fell on the positive side of variance in 2016, like in a major way. Like this was the most lucky, the most brilliant outcome that any team can hope to have for basically two draft classes, the 15 and the 16 draft class. There is the Vic Beasley magical uh, suddenly becoming a 16 sack guy. Uh, and it was magical because it was not true. Like it was not, and you have argued this point to death, but it's like, it really, one has to repeat it time and again. It was not true. You had Keanu Neal coming in and being like right out of the gate. Amazing. Like being this complete and Dion Jones coming right out of the gate and being amazing. And this was positive variance. This was a team like being lucky in the sense, or my, we have to give them credit. It was good coaching. It was everything, and the, and the, the picks were good. And Dimitrov even traded down, like for the, for Dio Jones or whatever. Like every wrong, every stupid clock is right twice a day. Uh, every broken clock is right twice a day, or something like that. But like there was also some good moves. But uh, basically, they were lucky in the outcome of the variance of that team in 2016. Like Desmond Trufant got hurt, and Jalen Collins played okay. In his absence, the team got to the Super Bowl and, and, and was really not challenged by Aaron Rodgers and not challenged by Russell Wilson, even though Jalen Collins was a starting corner on that team. That's positive variance. That's when you hit the jackpot. That's when, like, nobody exposes you. Nobody, like, we know now in, how, in hindsight how lucky that was because Jalen Collins is not a good NFL corner. That's not something we know that now. And, and we know, um, afterwards, the, this, with Keanu and with Dion, the injury issues that happened and everything, we saw the negative side of that variance. And I think um, I remember coming on your podcast after the 2016 season, and uh, and I have to really criticize myself for my take back then because back then I, I also felt prey to the thought, well, this talent level is sustainable. And I, I remember saying I liked that they were content in their offseason moves like they didn't panic they didn't do anything rash they waited for the taripo to come to them they didn't like there was no big sense of oh we have to tear down major parts of our roster we're just going to try to bring back everybody that we can this team was uh, never uh, was behind in the super bowl so why should we um, change anything and and i kind of liked that back then but in 2017 and 2018 as you said 2017 we somehow treaded water and, and held that level again well, not that level, but we kind of were good enough, but 
there were all there was already that variance creeping back in and dragging you down to the middle and dragging you back to the mean that um, you cannot sustain success like that and expect it to be this home run hit every single time. And so that's what happened in 17 and 18 and 19. And this talent um, level that we thought we acquired in 16 turned out to be mediocre. Like Keanu Neal is not on the team. Dion is on the team. But in a day-to-day basis, we're going to see the injuries played a lot with that. Austin Hooper is not on the team. Uh, like a lot of a lot of this this magical draft class that transformed the team is not on the team anymore. So if you are now sitting there and saying that Richie Grant is going to be I don't know um, Santa Samuel Jr. or something like that. I mean, even this is a too recent example. What's I kind of think of a good second round safety that really stuck with this team. Um, well, but. The point is a building block that you can be sure is going to work. We are not at that point yet. We simply don't know. And even if Richie Grant is good this year, he could struggle next year. Um, Jalen Mayfield could turn out to be Lamar Holmes. Like, I really don't know. Like, it's really it's really hard to tell. So uh, people have to be careful with, with hitching their, their hopes on, on one draft class being this huge transformative event. And we talked about Kyle Pitts already, who, who could be just Tony Moyaki. Um, well, maybe, maybe. No, he can be. He if we're be lucky, if that. we're lucky, I, I think some people. Will <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he can reach that level. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think you know that's a great point to to sort of end this on um, because you're 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 we're going back and, and looking back at some of our bad takes and like I was riding that wave well past 2017 into 2018, and it really only started to show the cracks started to show up. Like, wait are they in the, going in the right direction until mm-hmm. 2019 with the hiring of Dirk Cutter and the decisions that they made that all season, letting Brian Poole go, Matt Bryant, paying Ty Sambrello, paying yeah. Jamon Brown, James Carpenter, paying God. Vic Beasley, all, you know, and like, all this stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, for me, so like when, I, when we play this revisionist history and, and say like, you know, Oh, they were always bad. It was like, I don't know if that, like, I just felt like yeah. they were, they were, they were able, they were in a position through the first, you know, four years of Dan Quinn, where it seemed like they were at least, at the very least, treading water, being a competitive team, that you could feel really generally optimistic about the direction that they are heading. And it just kind of all got derailed in 2019. And and certainly I think we could probably do an entire podcast sort of looking back on the reasons and the the factors that caused that. But I think it it raises... It spelled... spelled Cutter. K-O-E-T-E-R. And so, like, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see sort of how these things play out. And I I certainly understand, you know, and for most of this offseason, I felt reasonably optimistic that things were at least headed. There was reasons to be positive and saying, okay, Dan Quinn's gone. Thomas Dimitrov's gone. There's no reason to hold Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot to the same sort of um, standard and, and have that same sort of general negative or pessimistic outlook about the future of this team, you know, they deserve the opportunity to prove themselves and whatnot. And they should at least get somewhat the benefit of the doubt. For me, I, I'll readily admit that that took a big hit when the Falcons traded Julio Jones, when I was like, yeah. okay, like, you know, like it is it, not to sit here and say like, oh, that was a terrible move and, and all these various things. But I think it's fair to be a little bit more skeptical now and mm. being like, hmm, you know, mm. I'm going to let this 
whole situation play out a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that's a that's a wise approach. Like that's that's really the agnostic position I was talking about is that we still don't know, and that's that's perfectly encapsulates that. I also remember just just the last tangent, um, twenty sixteen. Like when you you always have prior information and and you know you have information about the team beforehand and then new stuff happens and you add that information and balancing how important the recent information is in contrast to the long history of prior information that you have is always the challenging task for anybody following a team and so um i remember like when everything derailed with Dirk cutter i went back to the archives and i looked at um stuff that I was uh, talking about in the 2015 to 2016 off-season. And that's a very interesting off-season because I remember that my general feeling in that off-season was that of a catastrophe. Like that, uh, that this team, I thought, had nowhere to go. And I remember in we lost week one in 2016 to, to, to James Winston and to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think in Atlanta, probably, maybe, I'm not sure. I think um, so. Uh, and the odds of the Falcons uh, winning the Super Bowl in Vegas at that point after week one were 100 to 1, like the Cleveland Browns. Back then, they were the Cleveland Browns, yeah. not the Cleveland Browns of today. Um, and there was so much prior information. And if you think back at that moment, at that moment, Dan Quinn was the guy that kicked the field goal in uh, San Francisco against Blaine Gabbard and lost that game to Blaine Gabbard because he kicked a field goal with four minutes to go down four at the one yard line or something like that. Um, he was the guy that kind of that lost to Blaine Gabbard, kind of beat up on Brian Mallett. And I don't know who the other, uh, they, they won 10, seven against Brandon Whedon Zach was a Cowboys quarterback. Brandon Whedon, Brandon yeah. Whedon Cowboy. Zach Mettenberger nearly beat them 10 to seven yeah. in a nail biter. Like this was the Dan Quinn team. Vic Beasley was a bust. Like, at that point, there was nothing to say about Rick Beasley after this 2015 season where you could say, ah, Dan Quinn, at least we have hope that the evaluation process of the players is different now. Um, so, like, and uh, and Keanu Neal was a reach. Like, you have to remember that as well. Like, Keanu Neal at that point was a reach. When you were, like, I don't know if we can talk about, ah, some teams were talking about him in the first round, but it, they took him. 16 or was it something yeah. like that? 17? Um, like uh, uh, that stuff sometimes gets forgotten. Like how, if you look at the evidence, all of the evidence before that was that Dan Quinn is pretty much not a good coach or at least not a good head coach. Um, that the team was really struggling to adapt to Kyle Shanahan's, but this was also information. Kyle Shanahan struggles. There were Roddy White, three incomplete passes against Indianapolis. They lost to Indianapolis. In overtime in 2015. Matt Hasselbeck, yeah. Matt Hasselbeck, yeah. There you go. Um, so like, like, there was a lot of information pointing us to this team not being super great. And then they really hit on a lot of lucky bounces and convinced themselves that they were great, which, like, this was the, the, the tough balancing act for the team as well as the fan base. And I admit that I myself was, but when I went back, I thought, well, if I would have trusted the prior information more, I would have been more skeptical of that 2016 run being something really sustainable in the sense of, ah, okay, they, we are now seeing clear signs of better play calling from Dan Quinn. We are seeing clear signs of better drafting from Dimitrov. We are like, let's just wait and see. And we waited after we wait, after we waited and saw, 
it turned out to be something of a of a of a, a dream uh, castle. But um, um, it was interesting for me to go back to that moment and see those 100 to 1 odds and remember that there is always prior information that you can actually go back to and, and, and not, you're not always, uh, you're not, you don't always have to be a prisoner of the moment, so to say. Yeah, yeah. You know, it reiterates the point that hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> like, I, I remember that. I remember that that offseason being very negative on the team and, yeah. and in large part due to Dan Quinn, in large part due to Mohamed yeah. Sanu. Um, yeah. Yeah, they overpaid for Mohamed Sanu. It was another thing. Like, why would this team go to the Super Bowl? <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you talk about the, the slow start that year, you know, and, and it wasn't that much better. You know, by the midpoint of the season, like they were like a 500 team or something like that. Four and three, they were yeah. four and three after losing after losing the 70 point lead to San Diego. They were, I think, at four and three. Yeah, yeah. and then they they got hot down the stretch, and and we rode that all the way. And then mm-hmm. you you saw, you know, the subsequent year again. Getting back to the point I made earlier, where I was like, you know, the buy in in 2017, 2018, where it's like, okay, like you know, there were some cracks there, but you know, and, and even in 2018 convincing yourself that if Sark hadn't, you know, the offense hadn't bottomed out during that five-game losing streak mm, yeah. uh, in the second half of 2018 after they had, you know, climbed their way back to, to mediocrity by the bye week and, and, and beat the brakes off of Washington coming out of that bye week. Mm. And we, we felt really good about that team. And then they went in that five-game losing streak and we were like, okay, well, that was the thing that derailed us, right? And it was yeah. the offensive, poor offensive performance. And if we can get better play calling – you know, we will be able to mitigate those issues. And then, of course, you know, dirt cutter. Uh, so, yeah, it, it it's, you know, it, it's obvious. Like, that's one of the things I always enjoy doing is going back and looking at where I went wrong because now you have more information than you had back then. And back then, whether you were positive or, or negative or, or whatever or somewhere in between, it's all you, you never have enough information. And like it, it has taught me over time to maybe not be as willing to die on a hill one way or the other, because it's like, look, I don't know. Like I've learned from many times being overly positive, overly negative, and we'll just sort of have to wait and see and we'll, we'll play it by ear. But uh, Marco, I I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights um, and let the people know, um, you know, what, what are you going to be up to between now and, and, the start of training camp and, and whatnot before uh, we actually get to start to see some of these guys and how they operate on the football field. Ah, well, you can, you can find me on Twitter at Vienna Falcons uh, rambling about um, Falcons, uh, politics, Yugoslavia, history stuff, music theory, a bunch of different topics. And um, if you are one of the probably millions of German speaking uh, listeners to this podcast, you should definitely check out um, the German writing Falcons blog that I have with uh, two buddies of mine. Uh, it's called Sturzflug, which translates to English as nosedive, um, and seems like a fitting name for a, for a blog about the Atlanta Falcons. And um, and uh, you can find the blog at sturzflug.blog, uh, blog, sorry, uh, the German creeping in. And uh, um, Twitter, the handle is uh, Sturzflug blog. Um, and there we give our takes and our analysis um, uh, in German. So for all those thousands and millions of you, follow me and us there. Uh, if you want to see uh, more kinds of insights and thoughts like uh, those today. And um, yeah, if you are just a 
a regular English speaking uh, Falcons fan, uh, you can follow my account at Vienna Falcons. There you go. We, we, there is, I haven't looked at it recently, but there is a, a decent number of German listeners uh, that listen to the podcast. I always kind of assume it's just the, the American soldiers on, on base there, but I'm Probably. sure there's a couple, there's a couple out there that, <laughs> yeah. you know, are, are native Germans. Um, but uh, yeah, man, uh, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your insights. Uh, we could probably spend all day going back down memory lane about all the, the wrongs uh, that uh, the Falcons have made in the past that l- led them astray. Uh, I know there's a tendency when you, when you can get uh, two Falcon fans in, in the same room or at least on, on the same Zoom conference uh, that they, t- things tend to veer towards misery. Uh, and so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully Arthur Smith can sort of, uh, you know, Nip that in the bud, I guess, is is where where I would say where we won't necessarily have that automatic reaction given the state of the team, and hopefully they'll be able to break out of it uh, in the near future. But Marco, again, I appreciate you joining me on today's episode. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, cheers to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, there you have it. Hour long conversation, part two of uh, that hour long conversation I had with Marco Markovic. Uh, a.k.a. Vienna Falcons of the Sturz blog, German language Falcons blog. Go check it out. S-T-U-R-Z-F-L-U-G dot B-L-O-G. And uh, tomorrow, I think we'll get into the training camp previews on the defensive side of the ball, talking about the D-line. I'm going to separate D-line edges and off-ball linebackers, as well as corners and safeties. At least that's the current plan. Maybe I'll have to combine them later on if we get, you know, you know, if stuff comes up and I'm forced to have to punt a couple of episodes, but that's the plan. And, and right now there's, you know, the plan is also going to have several guests on the come, come on the podcast, uh, maybe at the end of this week, but certainly next week we'll do some crossover NFC South stuff with some of the NFC South hosts to get their thoughts on their teams all season and training camp question marks, get some insights from the various NFC East hosts in the lockdown podcast network, given that we face three of those teams in the first four weeks. And, and maybe get some insights into what's at stake for them, at least heading early in the season as we revisit that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the plan moving forward. We'll probably have some other guests on to talk about other various topics surrounding the Falcons, but hopefully we'll be taking it easy doing, you know, alternating between like a crossover episode and a uh, training camp preview or maybe two training camp previews for every crossover episode over the next couple of weeks, something along those lines. And we'll start things off with the D line group and sort of talk, I guess about, you know, who's going to emerge other than Grady Jared and Tyler Davidson to sort of be the third wheel, uh, you know, Marlon Davidson, John Kaminsky, Taquan Graham, whoever, Deidre Sonat, et cetera. So that will be the focus of tomorrow's episode. And uh, if you guys want to provide any feedback to me about anything that was said on today's episode, anything that's been said on previous episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes, of course, by all means, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Till then.